Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. This is your host, Kurt Flewelling. We are going to uh, plow through some of the uh, news stories today, a lot of interesting news out there, but I'm going to go through it pretty quickly, not real in-depth because there are quite a few of them. Um, I did want to carve out a little time at the end of the show to uh, talk to you about some of the similarities that many of you who are faith-based voters, born-again Christians, um, may be uh, encountering out there when you uh, try to talk to people, um, something that's very difficult these days, about the issues of the day. Um, and I wanted to draw some similarities between uh, you doing that at the water cooler, soccer game, um, wherever you do do that, and witnessing to people um being ambassadors for Christ, evangelizing, whatever you want to call it, um, one is certainly much more important than the other as far as I am concerned. However, uh, and the, the two are not completely analogous, but um, there are a number of similarities that we can draw and perhaps can help us during these tumultuous times where in my opinion, we, we put way too much um, emphasis on what Fox tells us, what the HuffPo tells us. Um, oh my goodness, this entity is shutting down free speech here, and for, you know, and all that's very concerning and of interest to me. But at the end of the day, we're changing hearts, one citizen at a time, if you will, one family member at a time, one. Uh, member of your community at a time. And there's nothing Facebook, Twitter, uh, any of these entities um, can do, at least yet, <laughs> to, uh, to blunt or stop or um, change how you speak to your neighbor over the backyard fence or if you see somebody walking in the neighborhood and you have a little discussion with them or catch somebody in the line uh, picking up a pizza or whatever, there's, that, is not, um, that is not the business of Google or Facebook or Twitter. That is just you and another fellow human being. And I will draw some analogies um, that I've just learned over the years walking with Jesus Christ for 35 years that may be of help to you. So we're going to try to get to that toward the end of the program. But uh, the first news story I want to kind of plow through here is uh, I see that the House Democrats pass H.R. 1. It is a, an election reform bill, and it is uh, supposedly, uh, it was a very tight vote. It says the House of Representatives in the late hours of March 3rd passed a sweeping election reform bill that if signed into law, would affect multiple aspects of the electoral process and campaign financing. H.R. 1, also called for the People Act, passed the Democrat-controlled House on a largely party-line vote of 220 to 210. All Republicans voted against the bill. They were joined by uh, one representative, Benny Thompson of uh, Mississippi, who is a Democrat. Um, it is interesting to me that, uh, and we can go through some of the uh, specific specifics of this bill, um, but it is interesting to me. I read an article earlier this morning. I was going to comment on it, but um, it was uh, an entire article on how po 
politicians in general and Democrats specifically name certain bills in order to um, curry favor or sway with the public. The I Love Puppy Dogs, Rainbows and Clean Water Act, um, if you get my drift, uh, and this one is no exception, regardless of content. Um, I mean, how could you vote for something or vote against something that is for the people act? I mean, really? So um, I oftentimes find it intriguing. Uh, and I've said on numerous occasions, if you want to get your antennas up or be dubious of the uh, chicanery or the nefarious intent of a politician or a movement or a group, um, there is no easier way to do that than study the uh, warm and friendly, fuzzy feeling that you get when you read what that particular uh, piece of legislation or bill is um, is called. Uh, this is no exception. And in another place you see this is in um, referendums, a referenda, I should say, uh, in various municipalities, you'll see things on the ballot, um, which is tantamount to mob rule. If if your politicians are are falling down so poorly and not doing their job and not representing you in a manner that is um, consistent with your values or ideology, uh, there's a simple mechanism in, in which to uh, fix that, and that's called vote them out of office. And I, I have oftentimes marveled at um, some of the most conservative referenda that gets um, passed with a, with a pretty large plurality in that paragon of conservatism, uh, California. Um, and I, and I often find it really interesting. Like Californians are so lazy that they don't get out to vote and they're so blase that they'll just vote for Democrats and not really care about it. And then when the mayhem and destruction ensues, and it oftentimes does when you have a plurality of Democrats or liberals in office, they say, whoa, 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 we need a referendum on this or that. And, you know, I, I guess it's good that the Californians and other people that that are fans of referendum um wake up at some point in time, but it, it often struck me as odd. Like, why didn't you in the beginning do your research on one politician or another? Because it's pretty predictable what people are going to do once they get in office. And, and for, you know, particularly in the state of California for Democrats to just, and Republicans and independents to just vote for people with crazy agendas you know, from dog catcher all the way up to governor. And then it, it takes the, the sky literally falling before they come up with a referendum. Hey, we got to stop that. And it, it's fascinating because you would think, you know, California is a pretty, you know, liberal state. And in reality, it's probably about 55 to 45 uh, Democrat to Republican. Uh, surprising to some, but that's what it usually shakes out as. But, um, when it comes to a referendum to stop one crazy thing or another, you know, Democrats and Republicans kind of unite and say, this is nonsense. Um, but anyway, I digress. So they oftentimes name referendum, uh, referenda 
you know, the, as I said before, the puppy dog and clean air referendum to, and then they, they make the verbiage so weird and twisted that you can't even really understand you. You come out of the voting booth and say, you know, I don't really know if I said yes or no for the right thing. It's kind of crazy. So this particular, um, piece of legislation, um, I think all you need to know is the fact that it was called for the people bill. Um, Republicans uh, voted in lockstep against it. And and I think legislation like this kind of rears its ugly head in the wake of election reform, true, bona fide, needed election reform, particularly at the state level, all throughout our country. So what is the best antidote when you see many of these red states and even blue states enacting, and we'll get to it in a moment, just sweeping uh, election reform um, propositions and bills and, and things of that nature um, that to prevent the, the large-scale fraud and voter distrust that we saw in last fall's election. What is the antidote to that? Well, you can't really, if you don't have a plurality in the state legislature, and some of these states that are blue states in terms of who they voted for for president, um, do indeed have Republican legislatures. Um, What is the antidote to that? Well, you come up with something on your own that says, I'm going to deal with election reform. You you move the goalpost, you shift people's attention. And when common sense people, uh, Democrat stripe, Republican stripe, know that when you board up a window, when election officials are trying to look in and see what the heck's going on, that's wrong. When dead people vote, that's wrong. When people that don't live in a particular district vote, that's wrong. When people vote multiple times, that's wrong. When uh, voting, uh, the the tallies of these votes are curtailed and then systematically rolled out for several days uh, while this chicanery goes on, that's wrong. Um, it, while multiple uh, ballots are, are sent out to people that don't even request them as far as mail-in, uh, voting is concerned, that's wrong. And we could go on and on and on. Uh, I think thoughtful, logical, nonpartisan Democrats and Republicans can come together and say all of those aforementioned things are wrong. But when when there's a tsunami of consensus that those things are wrong and legislation starts to get forwarded, particularly at the state level, that tries to rectify that, there's really nothing the the uh, leftist in in the federal government can do other than put out stuff like this and kind of mask it as an election reform bill when in reality what it does it it seems to be addressing um, the influence of big packs uh, which happens on both sides. Uh, these 527s are front groups. So any election reform that you have in that area as far as campaign financing are, concern, uh, are concerned, can the money can easily be funneled through a front group. Um, this really does nothing for that. Um, it goes into voters being disenfranchised. 
Um, the little guy's getting hurt. The big guy is laughing. You know, all the standard crap that Democrats um, put out there. And at the end of the day, the bill really doesn't do anything um, to uh, to address the meat and potatoes of the widespread fraud that was um, perpetrated largely by Democrats last fall. So um, I think it's fluffy. I'm not even going to go into all the details. You don't, really don't even need to know all the details. If you do uh, want to look it up, look it up, and you'll find that it's it's replete with a lot of fluffy rhetoric, like um, the rich are getting richer, the uh, poor are getting poor, all, all things that have nothing to do with voting. Um, disenfranchisement, uh, the disenfranchisement of the garden variety Republican, regardless of socioeconomic status last fall, was was absolutely you know, on display. And Republicans didn't really beat the disenfranchisement um, pony as hard as the Democrats always do. So we go on to, um, excuse me. Thank you for indulging me. Um, we go on to an article that when I first read it, the title, I said, this is pretty funny. But after experiencing what we have all experienced last fall of the election, it's not funny. Uh, it's funny, but it isn't. And, you know, some could say this is in the, um, again, I believe this is down in Mississippi. Um, and, you know, people are, yeah, whoopee, you're touting victories in, you know, red states down south. But this movement, if you will, to expose fraud has to start somewhere. And um, so, as funny as the title of this article is, it's really not that funny. It says, judge orders a new election after, are you sitting down, 78% of mail-in ballots found to be invalid. And then it says, notary arrested. A Mississippi judge ordered a new runoff election for a local election in Aberdeen, Mississippi, after more than three quarters of absentee ballots cast in June, June's Democratic runoff election were found to be invalid, while a notary involved in the election was arrested. Judge Jeff Weil, in a 64-page order, said there's evidence of fraud and criminal activity and how absentee ballots were handled, how they were counted, um, and so on. Um, he cites the individuals at polling places during the runoff election held in Aberdeen uh, were just bungling this thing from top to bottom. Um, the judge ruled that 66 out of 84 absentee ballots that were cast in the election, or around 78%, should have never been counted, according to WCBI, which is a... Um, uh, a local reporting affiliate. Nicholas Holliday was declared the winner of the alderman seat by 37 votes, while challenger Robert Duvall contested the results. The court is of the opinion there is probable cause that several individuals involved in the disturbances during election day at the polling precinct, precinct willfully 
and corruptly violated one or more of the above criminal statutes. The court will have to appropriate authorities to determine whether the actions of Maurice Howard, Henry Randall, and Nicholas Holliday amounted to prosecutable crimes. The court filings said, referring to police chief Henry Randall and former mayor Maurice Howard, who while said were involved in intimidation, harassment at the polling um, place on election day. Um, So it goes on to say, meanwhile, while ordered a separate bench warrant and set a bond for Dallas Jones, who notarized the absentee ballots in question, um, she was later released on bond. Reports said, according to court documents, Jones said she admitted that she violated her notary duties and allegedly said she assisted an individual or individuals that uh, flouted the state's voter fraud law. So you may say, why in the world are you talking about some jerkwater town in Mississippi that nobody cares about, particularly elitists up here in the Northeast where we are in Philadelphia or on the coast or wherever? Um, Fraud is fraud. And whether it's... um, done with uh, manipulating algorithms in, in, uh, you know, in a sophisticated manner uh, in an urban area, or it's done by voter intimidation in a small municipality, whether uh, officials um, that are regulated by the state, notary publics, um, are greased, if you will, in order to look the other way and do things that are fraudulent, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. That and that that is one of the areas that um, many of the courts, including the Supreme Court, fell down mightily last fall when they uh, many of them said as much. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty probable that fraud uh, took place, but not to the point where it would have changed the election. That is absolutely a bizarre statement. That That's like if, if a woman is assaulted uh, uh, in, in Central Park, but then we find out she was um, uh, drunk and skipping through the park with perfume on and in a bikini, and she was of ill repute, then it makes the assault any less egregious. It does not. So just because fraud occurs on a wide, wide, you know, excuse me, wide scale uh, basis, just because it did not affect the elections in one state or another, and I would um, highly challenge that comment, doesn't mean that you don't investigate it. And so that is the reason that we're talking about a small little town in Mississippi, um, because you, you literally can multiply that by tens of thousands of municipalities throughout the country. And it goes from dog catcher all the way up to the president of the United States and then all the way back. Wrong is wrong is wrong. That's why I tell you on the show all the time don't listen to Fox, don't listen to Kurt, don't listen to anybody um, exclusively. Listen to the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to the, or study the principles 
of the word of God. If you're not a Christian, become a Christian, and then you will slowly but surely develop the moral compass, uh, if you will, that uh, we all should have. And you will be equipped to look at the issues of the day from a biblical standpoint. And you won't have this attitude. Well, I'm just the notary public in a, in a tiny town. I'm going to look the other way. So what if this guy gets elected dog catcher or not? It's not like it's um, the presidency, if you will. Um, nothing is overlooked by God. God sees everything. He sees you if you're in a tiny little jerkwater town and you're intimidating people late at night or intimidating voters that want to do this or that, uh, or you're throwing out ballots in an election where there's 200 people voting, or if you're doing it on a wide scale um, basis. Wrong is wrong is wrong. And if we're all doing it, and rationalizing it in whatever form of sin, yes, I said sin, um, then we have a problem. The, the moral fabric of this country is is absolutely unfraying at uh, warp speed. And that's why we talk about small little places like this. We talk about big election fraud that happened um, in, in the city of Philadelphia, Detroit, um, Milwaukee, etc. Wrong is wrong is wrong. And, um, you know, changing this one citizen at a time, um, is how we do it. So we do have to pay attention to places like this and we can't trivialize wrongdoing or sin by saying, well, it's just an election for dog catcher in Jerkwater, Mississippi, or yeah, some stuff went on, some windows got boarded up, some suitcases with some, you know, uh, Ballots just kind of came out in the middle of the night with nobody around, nothing to see here. Um, no, we, you have to expose these things. You have to talk about these things. You have to analyze why would someone for probably not a lot of money risk their uh, vocation, their reputation, their standing in the community, the shame that they bring on their family by engaging in this illegal activity. And it is a moral crisis of, of epic proportions. If you, if you can be bought um, at the lowest level and the highest level, and you will look the other way and do something to contribute to this, um, uh, just a, a serious question of election integrity in this country, then you're gonna have to do some soul searching. And I'm, I'm not a big fan of the state, um, you know, putting a gun to anybody's head or, or, or uh, insisting that somebody check their heart and check their soul. I think that should be done. That is done by the Holy Spirit. That is done by ambassadors of Christ. Um, that is done by the church. That doesn't, that doesn't, um, it necessarily does not work that well when government entities, I'm sorry to offend my uh, Christian left friends, when government entities, put a gun to your head metaphorically and tell you to change your heart and be a good person and cough up some bucks for somebody. It, that doesn't work. Um, so I, that long preamble to say this, I do, however, think that the long arm of the state should come down on people that have, um, 
either admitted that they've done this and thank God they've admitted what they've done or um, people grant immunity perhaps to whistleblowers and then they go after hard other people that are doing it because when the word gets out that if you um, do this or that and you can define whatever this or that is on whatever scale on an election and you are caught with your hand up to your armpit in the cookie jar with a, uh, you know, throwing Donald Trump ballots in an incinerator or roughing up somebody that's of a different political persuasion or ballot harvesting. Uh, we see those stories every week in nursing homes, putting pens in people's hands that don't even, um, can't even comprehend what they're doing. Um, when you do things like this, and you're caught, a misdemeanor is not gonna cut it. A $500 fine is not gonna cut it. Picking up trash on the side of the road is not gonna cut it because if the people behind this on a large scale have unlimited resources uh, to give you and they understand that you probably don't make much a year and if they grease you with whatever degree of money they grease you with, uh, that is going to, you're going to make a, a business decision. Like some people actually would, because they have no soul, would opt to be in an orange jumpsuit picking up trash. And then when that is served, they'll go back to getting $1,000, $5,000, $10,000 to look the other way and do something wrong. Because as humiliating as picking up trash on the side of the road is, it's worth it to them if they're going to get money to do, you know, uh, things that are uh, uh, just violations of election law. So we move on to some things that are a little bit more substantive, but I, I certainly don't think that they're the answer either. I, um, I read this article a few days ago and I read it in, in totality. And I said, you know, a lot of this sounds good, but it still doesn't have the teeth I would like it to have. This is in the state of Georgia. Georgia House passes omnibus election reform bill. Georgia's House of Representatives passed an omnibus bill that would reform a range of election rules, including um, over absentee voting, voter ID for absentee voting, time limits for voting, and more. The 66-page HB 531 bill passed the Republican majority chamber on a party-line vote of 97 to 72 and is headed to the state Senate for further debate. State Representative Barry Fleming, a Republican, the main sponsor of HB 531 said that the proposal was designed to restore voters' confidence in Georgia's election system following the 2020 presidential election, which saw numerous allegations of voting irregularities and allegations of election fraud. So states heretofore, several years ago, kind of had some collective pride and when they were known as a bungling state that couldn't get it together as far as elections were concerned, they had a little pride to clean it up. Um, Florida did that after 20, uh, the 2000 election. Um, Ohio has done that in the past um, 
couple election cycles. And if you've noticed, and it's not just the Trump phenomenon, Democrats and Republic, or excuse me, Democrats have lost ground and can't really penetrate and and um, do the things they have done uh, to a large scale in the state of Florida or in Ohio to adversely affect elections. So the people in those states have gotten it together. Legislation has clamped down on some of the things that led to um, fraud, and that's a good thing. Um, sometimes that comes from the top. Sometimes that comes from the bottom. But in Georgia, you know, I uh, <clears throat> I don't know how the citizens feel about again being at the epicenter of this bungling that happened a few months ago with the presidential election. Um, I'm sure some of them are embarrassed. I'm sure some of them don't even care. Uh, separately, the GOP majority uh, Senate. Uh, introduced its own version of the omnibus election reform bill that has some overlap with the House bill. One difference is that the Senate bill will eliminate no excuse absentee voting, something that has been allowed in Georgia since 2005. Um, So it goes on to absentee ballots and um, the new bill sets up multiple requirements for absentee ballots, including a number of voter ID requirements in replacement of the state's current signature match process, which is just ripe to um, to be uh, up for subjective debate. Voters would have to submit their driver's license number, their state ID card, the last four digits of their social number. Uh, on the ballot envelope, if the voter lacks a government ID, the bill requires a copy of a current utility bill, bank statement, government check, paycheck. Um, so as far as absentee votes are concerned, uh, at least they are clamping down on if you say you're this person, you better be this person, which is a good thing. Um under the new bill, voters would be able to request an absentee ballot 78 days before the election instead of the current 180 days, which is um, half the year. Uh, I I think that's a good thing. How how the heck, you know, I mean, when, when you need an absentee ballot, it's usually because something has popped up. You're going to be out of town for business or this or that. Um, You know, how, how do you even know that six months before the election? Um, that incredibly large window is, is just uh, a softball over the plate. If you, if you're concerned or if you will, um, to, to invite fraud, there's absolutely no reason to have thousands and thousands of absentee ballots floating around six months before an election. And, and this is, um, this is laudable that they pared that down to 78 days, um, it says to help reduce Georgia's runoff period to four weeks instead of nine weeks. Um, they've experienced uh, so they they want to um, they want to take that down to a month instead of nine weeks. Drop boxes still would be allowed under the new bill, but subject to a number of restrictions. There would be a limited number of drop boxes where every county would have at least one drop box, but no more than one per 100,000 active voters. 
for one for each early voting site. Any given drop box must be located at the office of the Board of Registrars or absentee ballot clerk or indoors at an early voting site. The drop boxes are only open when those sites are open and under constant surveillance. Now, now it's funny, all the things I just ticked off sound pretty darn commonsensical, don't they? But one of the reasons that these crazy numbers in Georgia just multiplied is because there were drop boxes all over the place. They were in areas where nobody was around. Um, they could be accessed at two in the morning, one in the morning um, by anybody. There's no cameras on them. All sorts of crazy things could have been happening. Your mind just boggles, doesn't it, with those drop boxes. Now, um, some simple common sense legislation has been restored or presumably will be in the state of Georgia surrounding um, drop boxes. So I had said this and several people have before. It doesn't really matter how many conservatives you have out there, how many Republicans you have out there, how popular Donald Trump is, how much stumping he does in the midterm elections. And if he comes back in 24, it doesn't really matter. If you don't button up yesterday, this election process um, from dog catcher all the way up to the president, Democrats will win as far as the eye can see. So this is why when these states are jumping on it real quickly, um, Joe Biden's only been president for a few weeks, but these states are are moving on this very, very fast. And if they continue to move on it and it multiplies in popularity throughout the country, I don't think this thing's going to be right um, totally ever. I don't think it's going to be anywhere near it needs to be by the midterms, but it may be pretty far down the road in the next four years by the 2024 election as far as buttoning this thing up, at least to the point where um, people cannot steal elections. I'll just say it the way it is. But people have to be vigilant. They have to um, be tight with every aspect of where fraud um, could occur, has occurred, will potentially occur. And they have to do things like this. And these things are popping up in states all over and particularly of note in blue states. So we shall see. Um, next article here says uh, Senate advances Biden's $1.9 trillion relief package as VP Harris cast tie-breaking vote. And where it's not really necessary to go into um, all of the things in this relief package. Um, I mean, we can. Uh, it, it largely went along um, party lines. But um, I, I think that the, the biggest noteworthy thing I have uh, on this one is I had heard somebody say, I think it was Mark Levin um, back in November, if if this thing is going to shake out to be 50-50, which it ultimately did, those two folks lost in Georgia, and Kamala Harris was going to be the tiebreaker on everything in the Senate, um, Mark Levin's contention, and I agree with him, make her work. The vice president is is largely a ceremonial job where you sit there 
like a cigar store Indian and just kind of look good in a suit and smile and shake hands. I guess you can't do that in a pandemic world, but um, you really, whatever comes out of the president's mouth, you got to say, that's wonderful. You're much more of an ambassador than anything else. Uh, In the times we're living in, these polarized times with just crazy swings um, and and a 50-50 tie in the Senate, uh, that role has changed. And and if if you want to at least make a statement, you can't change the um, the numbers in the Senate unless somebody jumps from one side to another, and they should, but they won't. Um, until 2022, at the least, you got to make Kamala Harris work. You got to make her work really hard, and that does a couple of things. It, it, it keeps her toes tapping so she can't just be out there um, looking good and, and spouting frivolous, I love puppy dog type of, uh, you know, um, proposals, but she's actually has to come back, cast a deciding vote. Uh, and, and you may say, well, how hard is that? Well, you know, it makes her work one, but, but number two, what it really does is if you're a Republican, it kind of tells you that the Republicans in this day and age, to some degree or another, have gotten the message that, you know, and we'll get to an article about this in a little bit here, um, have gotten to the point where if you can't beat them, join them. And I don't mean that um, ideologically or politically. I don't mean reaching across the aisle, but analyze some of the things that they have done in the past, their opponents, the Democrats, and emulate that. And one of the things, if you love Democrats or hate them, they have always been very good animals of, of being whipped in line and voting, um, sometimes holding their nose for this or that, um, and, and pretty much not bucking the system. And it, when they need votes, they get votes. They don't stray like Republicans tend to stray sometimes. Now, I, I, I fully understand that is a function of the animal that is the Democrat, um, which is a different animal than the Republican. The Republican oftentimes is uh, much more of an independent thinker, much more of a maverick. They don't um, they don't do the lockstep thing, if you will, like their opponents do. But in these days that we're living in, where Kamala Harris is going to be breaking tie after tie after tie, make her do it, and. Unless something is egregiously uh, unpalatable to you as a Republican in the Senate, vote along with your Senate colleagues to just give a message to your opponents that we're going to stick together and um, your Republican constituents that we are going to try as hard as we can to object to this. And who knows? Um you know, maybe once in a while, if you do that enough, you'll get a, you'll get a Democrat that, um, you know, comes over to your side. But I think you make Kamala Harris work, 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 work. So, um, anyway, this $1 trillion relief package is passed. Um, and it is, uh, again, and we don't have time to get into it, but it is again replete with all sorts of things 
that have absolutely nothing to do with COVID-19 relief. And that is what um, drives uh, constituents of all stripes crazy. Um, If it's a COVID-19 relief package, why is this in there or that? We're not going to really get into the thises and thats, but um, it's very disturbing. Um, you know, I, I, I do see here it says um, Lisa Murkowski uh, says, my state needs relief, Senator Murkowski, on the COVID-19 relief package. Um, yeah, I, I realize that your, need, your, your state needs relief, but any relief your state is going to get from a COVID relief package is going to be far outweighed by whatever victory your opponents are are now going to be given if you jump over and vote for them, uh, Mrs. Murkowski. So um, we continue. Um, and this one, this one, this article was very interesting to me as well. Um, let me get to it here. Um, I thought this was an interesting article, very short and sweet, but um, I oftentimes love it when a politician comes along and there's nothing anyone on the left or right can do about the will of the people. Now, that that doesn't mean I'm, I'm doing cartwheels when a guy like um, Arnold Schwarzenegger gets elected as the governor of um, California as a Republican. Um, he was very liberal on many things, did a lot of uh, things that I did not agree with. But I, I think it's kind of cool um, when uh, somebody bigger than life tra- uh, transcends all the politics and despite any mudslinging uh, on the left or right, regardless of uh, uh, what party you happen to be from, there's nothing you can do to overcome the uh, the cult of personality vote out there. Now, if that individual is a liberal and people are voting for that person because they're a great singer or a great entertainer, or a great actor, and their policies are pretty wacky, then as intriguing as that is to me, I don't think it's a good thing, obviously. But from a matter of interest, uh, when that happens, it is indeed intriguing to me because people try to assail that person, either from the left or right, and whatever that person has done um, their body of work, if you will, uh, if it's something substantive, which you or I may consider substantive, um, that's great. If it's something intellectually vacuous, um, that's a little bit more problematic. But the mere fact that that people are out there, entertainers, sports figures, whatever, they, they jump into the political arena and they are instantaneously a, a force to be reckoned with, has always been intriguing to me. And as a conservative, when I find someone like that, that happens to be uh, conservative-minded, it, it even um, makes me smile bigger. I, um, I hearken back to uh, uh, a, a favorite of mine way back in the day. I'm dating myself, but um, uh, Sonny Bono, of the Sonny and Cher fame um, was, uh, you know, obviously an entertainer, a very funny guy, popular guy. They had a television show after their success uh, in music and Cher has gone on to be quite the entertainer herself. But um, Sonny Bono, when the, uh, 
when the spotlight kind of got off him and the dust settled a little bit, was going off into that good night and he uh, was running a pizza um, establishment somewhere in California. And heretofore was not a real political guy, but when he was posed with the amount of regulation that that particular municipality in the state of California was raining down on his head when he just wanted to make pies and give them to people or sell them to people. Um, He was so irate that he ran for office and ultimately he was a, uh, a a congressman and and got reelected. And sadly he, he died in a skiing accident, which was quite tragic. But I always remember how, um, I felt when uh, Sonny Bono, who was kind of an affable, nice guy, got into politics, you know, obviously uh, cashed in his uh, notoriety to help him and he got elected. And that kind of leads me to my story here. And um, if nobody has ever heard this guy uh, speak, um, particularly um, what his views are, you really should. And and this is Herschel Walker. He is um former um uh Georgia football star and resides in the state of Georgia. Um went on to some great years in the NFL with um the Cowboys and uh Minneapolis and here in Philadelphia for a brief um period of time. But he was a Donald Trump supporter. However, um if he was never a Donald Trump supporter, if you hear what Herschel Walker stands for, um, uh, politics or conservatism um, is certainly quite secondary to his faith in Jesus Christ. He is a devout Christian. He uh, evangelizes at any time uh, with no compunction whatsoever. And he has been um very vocal about the culture and what the culture needs and uh, espousing conservative principles. And he, uh, it has been talked about, and I don't know if he is, um, you know, on board for this, but uh, many people down in the state of Georgia, particularly after the election debacle and the next few months that ensued, that Democrats lost, or excuse me, that Republicans lost those two Senate runoff races. Um, Brian Kemp, who uh, you know ran on being this ultra-conservative, gun-toting, lower-tax guy, is an unpopular figure, um, big time, and he is up for re-election in 2022. If he indeed can even stomach re-election, he's just not a popular guy, but. Herschel Walker has been hinted to uh, to be in the running for the next governor of the great state of Georgia. So this um, this article says uh, when former President Donald Trump rattled off his enemies list during his long-awaited address to CPAC last Sunday, the name of Georgia Governor Brian Kemp wasn't was not among the seventeen, but oh, he's still on the list. In fact, if Trump gets his way and his friend of 38 years, football great and 1982 University of Georgia Heisman Trophy winner Herschel Walker enters the 2020 gubernatorial race, Kemp will be the former president's top target. 
President Trump would like, excuse me, would look very favorably on a Herschel Walker run for governor of Georgia, a Trump source told uh, the Washington Examiner, adding he really likes the idea. While he now lives near Dallas, who he played for in the NFL, Walker has a business in Georgia and maintains deep roots in the state that that still adores him for his college exploits. Um, That won't be an issue, Trump uh, ally told us. In a recent 2022 poll, Kemp and Abrams were close. Um, uh, Abrams is the the candidate, the Democratic candidate, uh, Stacey Abrams, that Brian Kemp narrowly beat the last time he ran for governor and probably day one after she um, ceded that she was defeated by Brian Kemp. She has been a a one-person wrecking crew to the Republican establishment, um, a a darling for the Democrat Party in the state of Georgia, um, has been pretty much the focal point and the driving force behind all of the mail-in balloting and the absentee balloting and the, you know, all sorts of other things. Um, Stacey Abrams, uh, without her, a lot of that stuff doesn't get done. And and I would contend without Stacey Abrams, um, you know, almost exclusively, uh, Donald Trump does not lose the state of Georgia. So she is, is a strong force to be reckoned with. But, um, so everybody's focused on Kemp and Abrams um, and Walker, um, you know, kind of comes onto the scene here and, and throws a wrinkle into this. Now, obviously, he would have to uh, to defeat Brian Kemp in a primary, and that's not going to be easy, but uh, it would be very interesting. Um, but that's where Trump would come in. Uh, it says he continues to have strong and wide support in the state though both his Senate candidates lost in January runoff, if Walker entered the race, Georgia would become the former president's priority and an easy ride from him um, from his Florida home. Um, (laughs) um, Anyway, so that's interesting. If you ever, if you're not familiar with Herschel Walker, um, just Google some of uh, his, uh, very thoughtful um, thoughts on the issues of the day. Um, do not discount Herschel Walker because he's muscular and he is a football player. Um, I recall a very, very sad uh, conversation I had with a Republican here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania several years ago when uh, former Hall of uh, or former Pittsburgh Steelers standout Hall of Famer Lynn Swan was running for governor against. Um, as we affectionately call him here in the state, Fast Eddie Rendell. And um, I, I was just sad to watch this woman who, um, very bright lady, a Republican through and through, whatever the heck that means, say, I, I would never vote for Lynn Swan, who was the Republican nominee here in the state of Pennsylvania. He, he's a dumb jock. And I'm like, I, I have. I, I tried to hold it together. I said, "Have Have you ever listened to Lynn Swan speak? Have Did you watch any of the debates between Ed Rendell and Lynn Swan? Lynn Swan is an extraordinarily articulate, well thought out. Um, you know, at the time, politician certainly wouldn't categorize him as a politician, but um, 
you know, this because he's a ex-football player, we don't want him is something that um, the left certainly does not do, do they? If they have a, a singer, an entertainer, a sports figure, anybody with a D next to their name, do they jump all over that and exploit that? And will their constituents vote for them um, big time because of their notoriety? Yes. But why is it when when we're Republicans, we get a little weird about that? And I'm not a Republican, but I felt that that was a very, um, very sad uh, commentary on um, on her viewpoint. So don't discount Herschel Walker if he indeed does run. Um, I did want to get to um, I, I'm not going to shortchange my little speech on the. Uh, witnessing and uh, talking to people that are conservatives. Uh, I will save it for next um, next show because it, it will take a little while to get into. But I will end the show with this. Um, Her- Herschel Walker happens to be an African-American. Um, I am not in any way, shape, manner, or form someone that votes for someone because of their gender or their skin color. Uh, I, I think the best person for the job should be um, whoever gets the job. I don't care if you're a dog catcher or president of the United States. But this article intrigued me, um, and it was uh, it it says that that if Trump is the 2024 um, nominee, it, by all accounts, uh, Pence. Uh, does not want to be the VP and and probably um, Trump doesn't want him to be the VP. So I think that's a mutual thing. But the article goes on to to chronicle some of the potential running mates for Donald Trump in 2024. And this article asserts that Republicans and Donald Trump specifically should take a page uh, from the Democrat uh, playbook and exploit, if you will, and the word exploit does not necessarily have to have a negative connotation. The fact that the country may be clamoring for this and the Republican Party certainly either um, conceptually or actually does seem to have a problem in the minds and uh, of some voters out there that they are they are a little too middle-aged and white and they're not um, black enough or they're not um, female enough. So this article contends that um, if the Republicans, you know, if Donald Trump does get elected and he's obviously termed out after two terms, the next, you know, Republican leader or somebody to carry the torch on into the 2030s or whatever may very well be a woman or an African-American. And uh, as we're wrapping up here, the two people at the top of the list that they assert that if Donald Trump is the nominee, he should um, select as his running mate would be South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, who is um, an up-and-coming rock star in the party, and Tim Scott, who uh, is the senator from South Carolina. And um you know, again, if if that's the way the world is now, I think it's unfortunate. But if somebody needs proof that the Republican Party is not a racist party or not a sexist party, and you need to select somebody that does happen to have conservative values, I think these two people would be a great candidate. So if you're gonna if you're gonna play in that arena, perhaps the advice of um, 
of this uh, gentleman in this article is sound. Um, so next week we will get definitely to uh, that witnessing thing and uh, stuff I was going to talk about, but we just ran out of time today. So until next week, this is Kerf Llewellyn, Reshaping America. Have a great day.